Mac Power Users, episode 576. No judgment here. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing today? I understand you're dealing with snow. Yeah, you know, Memphis, like a lot of the U.S. right now, has winter weather that we normally don't have. And so I've got three or four inches of snow at my house with more snow coming today and then more coming Wednesday and Thursday. So it's it's a real adventure over here. Yeah, and like you were, we were talking about this recently, but you don't, your city doesn't have like the infrastructure, right? No. So I think we have like three snow plows for the whole city of, <laughs> you know, giant city of like a million people. So yeah, it is just kind of every person for themselves when we have snow and ice. But, you know, the kids are having a good time. We built a snowman and they are uh, sledding around the corner at, at a park right now. So everyone's having a good time. Good. Yeah, and I'm glad, glad you're okay. And I hope you don't freeze to death while we're recording today in your little studio. <laughs> if I just talk less and less as the episode goes on, it's because my lips are frozen. Okay. <laughs> well, things are nice here. It's cold here, too. I mean, today I had to put a long sleeve shirt on. It says oh. it's 60, 65 degrees out. Oh, that's so. rough. It's eight degrees at my house. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's really terrible. Cold. That's terrible. Well, it, it's time for a feedback show, and we've got a big pile of it today. So you just want to dig in on it? Yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's jump in on that. We should say first, on more power users today, we're going to be talking about our first Macs. And I know people may think, that sounds like a Steven topic. It's not. You put this one in, so yeah. I'm very excited to get to that with you. Uh, if you are not a member of more power users, you get an uh, extra long ad-free version of the show each week and a bunch of Relay FM perks. You can go to relay.fm slash MPU slash join uh, to learn more, we would love to have you. Yeah, things get a little crazy after dark on the Mac Power Users. It'd be great <laughs> to have you. There. Right. <laughs> um, we got an email from Deborah about uh, dictation and voice to text, and I, I thought about doing a show on this, but I don't know that there's a full show on it. But her question was, you know, she's using Apple Voice to text, and she feels like it's a step back from Dragon. And she just wondered what I thought about it, and and if I'm doing much dictation these days. And uh, the answer to the question is, I am doing a lot of dictation these days. And just like Deborah, I do miss the passing of Dragon. So, you know, Dragon, made by Nuance, has been the premier voice-to-text engine for a long time. As I understand it, they're in Massachusetts, and Apple has its own voice-to-text team that is in Massachusetts. My guess is I'm sure there's some cross-pollination of employment there. (laughs) <laughs> and um, but what I would say is that Dragon, while Dragon isn't there anymore, there I was never happy with their customer service model. You know, it was always really hard dealing with them. For a while, I was a big fan of their iOS app, you know, but it was 15 bucks a month and they really made it painful to unsubscribe and it, it stopped working at one point. So um, with with Apple in charge, you get universal voice to text that works everywhere and doesn't cost you a bunch of money. So that's, that's the upside. This is more accessible to everyone. You know, if you own an iPhone or a Mac, you can start using it. However, there's some, there's some wrinkles to all of this. Um, the, uh, the first is there's really two flavors of voice to text. 
uh, as as distributed by Apple. The first one is Siri um, dictation, and you're probably familiar with that on your phone. It's a little microphone button next to to the left of the space bar on your phone or your iPad, and you just tap that. You can start talking, and it does a pretty good job of of transcribing your voice. And that's great for like a text message or like a brief paragraph. It has a timer on it. I was trying to nail it down over the weekend. It looks to me like it's 60 seconds now. So you get about three to four sentences, and then it just stops, which is no fun if you're in the middle of a sentence. It also doesn't have custom vocabulary. So, um, if you have particular words or industry specific words or people's names, sometimes it just doesn't get them, but it works a lot better than it, it ever has in the past. In fact, I, I think you use that sometimes, don't you, Stephen? Uh, I do, um, especially on the phone, not so much on the iPad necessarily. Usually my iPad's in a keyboard, so I don't feel the need, but uh, yeah, I don't, I definitely don't use it as much as you, but it is, uh, it's great for quick things for me. Yeah, and, and so that's that's a solution that works. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't tried it, to give it a try. You know, if you want to, uh, on the phone, I find it very useful for things like text messages because I can speak them much faster than I can type them. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it. Um, on the iPad, it works really well. I've talked on the show about my workflow where I review PDFs for clients and I dictate notes into drafts, and I can use that fine for this so long as I'm not talking too long. Now, over on the Mac, you've got the similar feature, which you enable under the keyboard setting, which is something people don't realize, you know, where you even find this thing. Go to the keyboard setting. It's the tab on the right, I think, called Dictation. You just flip a switch. Uh, You used to have to download a big file to make it work with the most recent version of Mac OS. They've taken away that necessity. And I've triggered it. You can set the trigger button for me. It, it is hit the right command key twice. So you can do however you want. But if I hit the right command key twice, I can start dictating, which is kind of nice. Unfortunately, um, on the Mac, again, there is no custom vocabulary. And they have instituted a timer, which historically was not there. I mean, if you go back a few years on the Mac OS version of this dictation, you could just keep talking and it wouldn't stop. I, I don't know why they put the timer in. Hmm. I wish I knew the story behind that. Yeah, it seems like maybe they just took what was on iOS and iPad OS and just brought it to the Mac and maybe replaced the old system on the Mac. Yeah, that's probably what it is. And uh, But at the same time, Apple taketh and Apple giveth away. Um, yeah. there's, there's a feature <laughs> called voice control and it's under the accessibility settings. And they brought this to both the, the Mac and iPhone and iPad a couple of years ago. And this is, if you really want to dictate, this is kind of the dragon feature on the Mac. It's just under the accessibility tab. The way it works is it solves a lot of the problems. It does not have a timer on any device. So you can sit on your phone and dictate for many minutes and it's fine. It'll just keep going. But that's true on the iPad and Mac as well. You can have a custom vocabulary. Um, you can edit your sentences. Like you can go in if you want to use your voice to make changes. I mean, it's a full accessibility feature. It's made for people who, for whatever reason, don't have the ability to type and they can fully insert and you know manage text using just their voice. Um, I as, as much as I'm a proponent of, of voice to text, I actually don't do a lot of edits with my voice. I'll do the edits with the keyboard. Uh, in my head... 
um, the voice to text stuff, what makes it very useful is just getting that, um, that bad first draft of text in. So I don't care even if it gets a few of the words wrong, it just, you know, just talk and let it go. I, I do it all the time. And, and it just, it's a barrier for me because if I sit down and type something, there's a part of my brain that just refuses to do it. But if I just hit the little microphone button and start talking, it'll work better. Now, with the accessibility feature on the Mac, it puts a little icon on your screen with a microphone, and you can turn it off and on with your voice or or manually. Um, you cannot, however, turn the accessibility feature on really easily on the Mac. You have to actually go to the accessibility panel. I spent an hour over the weekend trying to write an Apple script to automate this. And I'm like 80% of the way there. I haven't got it exactly working the way I want. If I can figure it out before the show publishes, I'll, I'll post it at the blog. But it's not that big of a deal. Go to the accessibility panel and turn it on. I just usually leave it on all the time. And I just keep the, the service turned off. By saying, if you just say microphone off, it'll do it. Or you can click the, the little button. And it takes up just a little tiny corner of your screen. So I know this is a long answer, but I think that Apple has come a long way. I'll agree it's not as good as Dragon, but with this accessibility feature, you can add custom vocabulary. You can add custom commands. Like if there's something in the email app you really want it to do, you you can create basically a script for it to do that. The voice engine isn't quite as good as Dragon's, but still very good. And for someone like me just trying to get that first draft out, it's fine. And um, I actually have a funny story about dictation from yesterday. You want to hear about this, Stephen? Of course I do. I, I was in my backyard because usually on Saturdays or Sundays, I'll I'll write four or five blog posts for the week. And so I'm just, I've got dictation open. I was, I had my laptop and I was just talking away and my dog was sitting next to me and just started barking, you know? And there was another dog in the neighborhood and she got upset. And so she barked like four times and I looked down and um, Apple's voice detect dictation using the accessibility feature apparently speaks dog. And it wrote, (laughs) it wrote the F word four times. Kind of sounds like a dog bark. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't use the F word, so I don't know. It's not like something that was used to transcribing for me. So I, it just got me thinking, is this thing, this is spooky. Maybe, maybe this thing speaks dog. I don't know. I saw that on Twitter and I think you posted it in the, yeah. in the relay slack. And I, I really cracked up. Yeah, <laughs> it's really I funny. But I, I like dictation. I, I think that, um, like I said, they've democratized it by making it available to everyone. Yeah. Um, the entry point is Siri dictation. Just press one button and, and go off to the races. And if you find yourself wishing you had more vocabulary or the ability to do it longer, I would explore the accessibility feature. It's it's really quite powerful. And I think Apple is putting a lot of effort into this because you can see year over year this thing getting better. I, I think they... You know, Apple is always invested in the accessibility stuff. In my experience, I think they really want people who can't type to be able to use their stuff yep. without any problem. And the rest of us kind of ride that wave. Yeah, and I can see it being frustrating how the Siri dictation is less good on the Mac, but at least voice control is closer to what was there before. So that's good. All right. Um, we got an email about, uh, UUIDs, which is something that you said you use in uh, 
in notes to have this unique identifier so you can find things uh, later on. And uh, you were using them for uh, using them with one password, right, to create them? Yeah, I just had one password create a, a unique password, and I was treating that as a UUID. And um, a listener, no, and I don't have the exact, um, I just have his uh, forum passwords or his forum identity. But he uh, posted that there's a shell script for this that in the Mac, um, they've got in the, the shell support for this where there's a, a shell script you can post and it'll create a unique identifier out of shell script. Well, text expander runs shell scripts. So you could just put this into a text expander shell snippet and then you could like type X U U I D and it just automatically creates one on the fly for you. I thought it was really clever. I could not get it to work on my M one Mac. And I suspect it's because they probably haven't got all the shell scripting transferred over for the Apple Silicon yet, but I'm going to post a link to this in the show notes I'm not going to read out the the script here or you guys will just get really angry at me, but it's (laughs) going to be in the show notes. Go check out the post and you can build your own unique identifiers. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I tried this on my M1 as well and it didn't work. So I'm glad I wasn't the only one having that trouble. Yeah. You have to try your Mac pro and see if it works there, but, but you know, Apple, um, while the Apple Silicon is very good and, and largely just, you know, working out of the box from day one, a lot of the terminal stuff it will get there. It's just that's an extra layer of work, and I think that probably is not a, the highest priority, you know, because yep. how many people are actually using the shell? Uh, a small percentage of the overall public, I'm sure. A lot of us yeah, out in the world, not, not as much. Um, yeah. Also in that thread, I found it really interesting that Ethan put together basically the same thing, but doing it in Alfred, which is pretty cool. It's also just using the shell script but yeah. you can do it from alfred if you want to go that way as opposed to text expander so you have a couple of different options there you know if there's anything you're doing in alfred i mean if there's anything you're doing that's that's time intensive and you have alfred you really owe it to yourself to kind of explore the community of plugins there there's one alfred plugin i'll put a link to it in the show notes that i started using about a year ago and it's a folder search plugin and so i can just type cl period in alfred and it'll search my client folder database so i can get to any folder you know steven's my client i just type cl space steven and it gives me a list of every folder that has the name steven in it in my client folders and it's just like i'm you know i navigate that so quickly Mm-hmm. using that silly little script. And I've made v- different versions of it. I have one for clients and I have one for the whole drive and I have one for field guides. I have a similar one that was created by somebody else that searches all my folders or actually all my files in DevonThink, which is also super useful to be able to search and drill into my DevonThink library from Alfred. It's just that plugin architecture they made and the amazing stuff the community has built around it is something you really owe it to yourself to check out. I know we did a whole show on it a couple of years ago, but they just continue to bring stuff in. In fact, that shows the reason I switched to Alfred and I'm still using it after this couple of years because of those plugins. Yeah. I just checked one out uh, last week that you can add stuff to Fantastical from Alfred, 
which and using the same natural language processing that Fantastical does. Just do it from wherever you are. Yeah. The uh, file vault recovery. We talked about file vault, I think a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we kept emphasizing, make sure that you, you know, get your file vault recovery key. If you do this, if you lose that, you basically bricked your drive and you're going to have to start from scratch. There's no way you're going to recover your data. We got set straight. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, this is on me. Uh, I, I prepped that part of the episode and I just, I totally missed, even though I, I walked through the process on a computer, that you don't have to necessarily use a recovery key anymore that as of Yosemite, so this isn't even new, again, my apologies for missing it, is you can tie your recovery to your iCloud account. And so if you needed to use um, the recovery tool to unlock your file vault protected machine, you can basically just log in with your iCloud account. And in this um, this feedback email, you know, the, uh, the point is made that iCloud option is easier and probably the better choice for most users because most users are not going to forget their Apple ID password. Uh, And also I would add, you can reset your Apple ID password if you really need to, and you can't reset a recovery key. It's not the way it works. It is maybe slightly less secure because that is a password out on the open internet and a recovery key is just a string of text that you store somewhere, you know, printed in a safety deposit box or whatever. So it's a, it's a trade-off of security versus ease of use. Uh, for my machine, I looked at my uh, my notebook and I have it set up with the recovery key. I guess, uh, you know, that's the decision that I make and that's probably why I just missed that you can do it with an iCloud account, but it is an option and honestly probably a, an easier option for most people. Yeah, I mean, and I apologize for who sent this to us when I Put it into the the show notes. I didn't. I clipped the name, so I don't know who gave this to us. But the um, uh, I think it's the same thing because it started out that was not an option. So in my brain, that was still not an option. Right. And the last couple times I've set it up, I've seen it there, but I've never felt comfortable using it because I don't know I have client stuff on there. I I would just really like the extra degree of security that you get with this one time thing that mm-hmm. nobody can find, but. I agree with you. I think for the vast majority of people, this is a way better solution. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we, we uh, are not perfect and that's why we have feed, f- feedback and follow-up shows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's very thing. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, definitely go check out that Mac security episode. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there and we do have an iOS, iPad OS security episode um, on the calendar for the future. So looking forward to that as well. This episode of MPU is made possible by our friends over at 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more, sign up for a free 30-day trial, and get 20% off. We all know that we shouldn't keep our passwords on sticky notes around our computers, and a bunch of us may already be using a password manager. But... Are you sharing those passwords with people in your life? Do you have that joint bank account or the kid's soccer website you got to log into? Whatever it is, 1Password for Families makes that really easy. It is fantastic to be able to share logins and bank information, secure notes with my spouse. And once my kids are old enough, we can add them to the account really easily. And we can have 
different vaults. And so my wife and I could have things. We could share certain things with the kids. It's all very easy to control. Sharing important passwords is critical to my household running smoothly, and we do it with one password for families. And of course, it works on any technology that we have with us. So our iPhones, iPads, Macs, my PC, whatever it is, one password is there, keeping our data not only secure, but making those accounts easy to access with things like Touch ID and Face ID support. So head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you do sign up, you'll get 20% off. Again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. You know, we've received several emails lately about iCloud and backups and issues people are running into. You know, storing your documents on iCloud is great. Apple gave us the ability to have the documents primarily in the cloud, which is very useful if you've got a laptop with limited SSD storage. But that can create issues. Um, and I've had actually two or three email exchanges with listeners on the subject. And the problem they have is like they're running a Backblaze backup or a offsite backup or a local and the computer is only backing up the files that are physically stored on the computer, which kind of makes sense. That's the nature of a backup. And the, you know, if you've got your stuff partially in the cloud and partially on a device, you're not actually getting a full backup of your files. So what I tell people is if you're going to use iCloud and you're going to have stuff stored in a cloud like this, if at all possible, have one computer and in my case, you know, historically, it's been the one on my desk where you click the button to download all. And you can do that with iCloud. It's just a right click on the folder and just say download all and it'll keep everything down. And then after that, in my experience, it keeps everything downloaded. It doesn't, you know, try and outsmart you and start putting things in the cloud. Um, but if you do that, then you've got everything on the local drive. And then suddenly all those external sources can can work for you. But it also got me kind of thinking, like, how are we using iCloud these days? Uh, how are you using iCloud, Stephen? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's definitely worth considering the features and then, you know, backup and data security and that stuff. Um, so looking at my iCloud preference pane on my Mac that I'm sitting in front of, I have everything checked except for mail. <laughs> I don't use iCloud email uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, the primary one is it's junk filtering is just a joke compared to Gmails. And so I prefer yeah. Gmail for that. But, you know, the all the syncing stuff like sync Siri and home and stocks and news and that sort of stuff I'll have on. Um, I use iCloud Photo Library. My SSD in my Mac Pro is big enough. I have my whole library locally. So to the point we're talking about, those photos are backed up also to Time Machine and to Backblaze because iCloud is a syncing mechanism, not necessarily a backup mechanism. And so I have all those files locally on my disk. Now on my laptop, the SSD is way smaller. And so I just have the thumbnails on and I feel okay with that because again, they're all locally on my Mac Pro, you know, being backed up to a, a thousand places. Okay. We spoke about contacts and calendars and, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, definitely use those for through iCloud use Apple Notes pretty extensively. Um, as far as iCloud Drive, I have it on 
Uh, I don't have anything in there that apps don't put in there. So I, I rely on Dropbox for my cloud syncing really because most of what I do on my computer is work and I just have a, a, a bunch of Dropbox folder set up with everybody. I do not have on any of my systems iCloud Drive syncing my desktop or my documents folder. Uh, that's an option and it's a good option for some people, but that just doesn't work for the way that I work. I don't really need it. And so I have uh, that unchecked in the iCloud Drive section. There's some, there's a bunch of options. Uh, so I do not let it sync my desktop and documents. I think that feature is useful if you have a laptop and desktop. Uh, when I did have laptop and desktop, I um, I had that turned on. And I find it very useful because the desktop for me is very much temporary space. Yes. But if I'm working between two different computers, I want to have that stuff there mm-hmm. anytime I go there. And, and his, you know, I know that got kind of a bad reputation because when it first started, there were some technical issues. But I'd been using it for year or two and not really had any problem yeah overall i use icloud uh like steven i um i have news on the mail front so i'm going to put a pin in that we'll come to that later okay but the um but i do think that the file storage is good um it's fine if you're already paying for the icloud storage to go ahead and use it you can rely on it it's fast um, though, you know, the thing I don't like about iCloud sometimes is the lack of transparency, you know, with Dropbox, you know, exactly what's getting downloaded and what isn't. And iCloud tries to, you know, kind of take the, don't worry your pretty little head opinion about this stuff. And I want to worry my pretty little head, you know, <laughs> I'd like to have more control. The trick with iCloud storage is, is that right click download all button to kind of force it to download stuff you want on your drive. But, you know, I, I use it quite a bit and I'm okay with it. I mean, it, it generally does the job. I, I still think Dropbox is better at giving you manual control and it's better at sharing. Even though iCloud has added the sharing features, they're just not as seamless as they are in Dropbox. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the advantage is you don't have to install Dropbox and all of the cruft that comes with installing Dropbox on your computer. Yeah, if this was just for me, I would probably put everything in iCloud and ditch my Dropbox account. But again, it, it's there's so much stuff that's for work in Dropbox. It just makes sense for me to have everything there. I, I do want to circle back to something you said about the control. And we've talked about this for <laughs> years on the show, it feels like. I really wish Apple would give us more fine-grained control over what's local and what's not, just like Dropbox does. Dropbox, you basically have three levels. You have don't show this folder on my computer at all. Just have this folder sync to the cloud, but have a representation of it in Finder. And if I click on it, it downloads on demand. And then keep everything on my Dropbox downloaded and available to me. And I just, and you can do it in like a per folder, per subfolder basis, whatever you want to do. And I know that's messy and it's overhead and like you got to keep up with it, but I think it's worthwhile. And I, I really wish Apple would add it to Finder for the iCloud Drive stuff. Yeah, agreed. Uh, it's it's an area where, you know, the usual elegant solution isn't the right solution. Yeah, it's just not powerful enough. Um, we talked with Jeff Richardson about when did I apps. I had never heard of this this category of app before he started bringing it up on the show. And these are the apps. They're kind of like inverse habit apps where you put in. When you did something and it tells you how long it's been since you did it, you know, change the oil in your car or whatever. 
we got a bunch of email because I questioned the app category because I'd never heard of it. I stand corrected. I got all of your email that you guys love these apps. And uh, I guess I don't know if I need to say more than that. We heard from a bunch of people using them for a lot of different things. Um, you know, when they get the flu vaccine, when they change the air filters, you know, I, I get it. I guess I just need to install one of these and give it a shot. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way. Uh, it was not a category I'd really thought about. I mean, for me, I have like, okay, I have things like repeating things in my task list and I adjust the repeating depending on what I need. So again, like the example of I need to place the air filter, right? Yeah. So my house, it's every X number of months, whatever it is, I don't remember because when that time comes up to do, it just tells me. And so it doesn't really matter to me when the last time I did it, it's just that I know when to do it again. And then as far as looking back, I've got so much history in day one and that combined with like the photos widget and memories thing. I I feel like I'm kind of covered on like the emotional side of it too. And so I haven't ever really thought about going this way. Like I need to know, okay, the last time I, did this or that was 15 days ago. And on average it takes, you know, 25 days. I need to do it again. That's sort of inverse of the way that I think about it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it does. And like we talked, we did a whole show on day one, but I even have a a journal in day one for like personal management stuff. Like I logged when the air conditioner guy came out and cleaned and fixed the air conditioner. And I took pictures. I could actually go look in day one to see when that happened. So I kind of do it through day one as well. Are, are you still using day one a lot? A, a ton. Uh, using it very, very frequently. Like I said recently on the show, I have a weekly task of like, move some photos that seem important into day one every Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I still, I don't have as many journals as you do. I've got four set up, my main one, one for daily tracking, one for like what I call fake Twitter and then I keep a dream journal, uh, which is very, very odd. Uh, I've really learned that I have very strange dreams sometimes, and I've started writing them down, and it's hilarious to read them in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, for, for instance, one year ago, I just opened day one, and it told me about it. I had a dream that a possum had babies in the cab of my truck, and our dog adopted them. And <laughs> all of us were really freaked out because possums are horrifying. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I don't know are. why that was in my head a year ago, but now we're all just sharing it together. Yeah, we have we have possums here too. And um, one day I went out to move the car late at night, and the possum was across the street, just sitting there looking at me. And I felt like <laughs> it was going to follow me in the house and murder me. Yeah, freaky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did an experiment with day one because I'm you know, I'm really into this personal management management stuff. I'm I'm going deep down the rabbit hole on that and because obsidian has end-to-end encryption as does day one i thought well maybe i can do some of the daily journaling stuff in obsidian and i quickly realized no day one is the perfect tool for this why am i messing this up and uh so that experiment only lasted a week (laughs) that's okay yeah um the uh we talked about shelf apps and robert let us have it in the forums you know, and he kind of makes a point, you know, we, shelf apps are cool because I think I forget which one we were talking about in reference to this. Uh, I think it was Yoink. I think so. Yeah. But, you know, he's saying, look, you know, 
with iCloud, everything just, you know, is everywhere anyway. So why don't you put it, you know, like there's a, there's a desktop folder in iCloud. If you put something on the desktop on your Mac, you can access it on your mobile device in the desktop folder in iCloud. And uh, all these are good points. It's kind of like the, um, it's kind of like the password for full disk encryption where that's another way to do it. But um, I just have always done it through shelf apps and I kind of like the convenience of a shelf app. So it's something that's worth for me to pay a few bucks to, to have a different platform for it. But yeah, that's another way to do this. I keep a folder in Dropbox called temp. And if there's like a file or something that I just need to move from one place to another, I just put it in the temp folder and then after a few minutes or a few seconds it's on my other computer or whatever yeah and so yeah there's a bunch of different ways to skin this cat so to speak and i like shelf apps i think yoink is beautiful um but if that doesn't jive with you or you don't need a whole tool for that icloud dropbox even things like universal clipboard right uh could be enough for like i just need this over there Uh, so for instance earlier Today, I had an RSS link, URL, RSS URL on my Mac, and you can't add an RSS feed directly to Overcast on the website. And so I opened Overcast on my phone, went to add a URL, and it was already pasted there. And I could just hit go. And so there are tons of different ways to do this. A shelf app may, shelf app may be too heavy-handed for you. It may be perfect for you. But again, yeah. like we live in this richness of cloud services now there's a hundred different ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking like for text quite often, I don't use a shelf app. I'll use drafts. You know, mm-hmm. drafts allows me to see text across platforms very easily and it's fast and easy. So it, it is, I guess everybody comes up, you know, with their own solution. And that's the beauty of, of today. Whereas a few years ago, there weren't very many ways to do this at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, you roll back even five or six years it got difficult. I mean, you know, and even further than that, it was sneaker net, right? Like there was a yeah. time where like, I got to put it on a USB drive and move it from computer one to computer two. And, and now there's just so many different ways to do this stuff. I remember iDrive. You remember iDrive? This is before there was mobile devices. Uh, like iDisc? Yeah, Apple's thing? iDisc. That's it. I'm sorry. Yes. iDisc. Yeah. Yes, I do. It was not very good. If you had two Macs, I remember when I, I think when they announced it, I took a text file and put it in on one Mac and then went on the other Mac and the text file didn't show up for like an hour. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this will never work. It was not their finest hour, to quote Steve Jobs. I think they had like one server like in a corner somewhere that was like, here's the iDisc right here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> we got a note from Jeff about contact cleaner when we talked about uh contacts a, a few weeks ago when we had the show on on uh, contacts and and tasks and you know different app categories contacts cleaner was a great app you could buy it in the app store and it was a very lickable icon you know it had the old kind of like you know look of an app but it could go through and remove duplicates and like change the phone number formatting and just like all the little stuff you'd want to do to a big pile of contacts. And it apparently has stopped working. And um, Jeff asked, well, is there a new app like contacts cleaner? And I spent some time looking, I couldn't find anything like it. And it's kind of sad because, you know, here's an app that you could trust to make adjustments to your contact database. So it was a reliable app and 
it's not something you could easily replace without somebody putting real effort into it. And apparently there wasn't enough business for there, uh, there for them to keep it running. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Uh, I looked around to you and didn't really find anything. I think unfortunately it's just a, a manual process from here on out. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by text expander from smile. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast and sign up to get 20% off. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. With Text Expander, you can say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right things to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste or scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. I think of Text Expander like portable automation because with Text Expander, you can add automation to any application that you type in. I talked in the show today about my experiments with the Hey for Work mail application. Well, they don't really support a lot of automation. But I pull a lot off in Hay using Text Expander because, in addition to doing text fill in, Text Expander can also do text keyboard or text keys. So I can hit the tab key with a Text Expander snippet. So even using something like Hay, which is kind of web based, I can put the cursor in the subject line of an email, fire off a Text Expander snippet, and it will go ahead and type in the subject line, then type in the tab key, and then jump to the body of the text and fill out the body for me as well. It's very useful, and it's a way that lets me turn any application into an automated application, and there's really no other way to do that except with Text Expander. So why don't you take back your time and productivity today with Text Expander? Show listeners get 20% off their first year, just go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander and start automating today. Thank you, Text Expander, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So, Stephen, something I did since the last time we did a feedback show was again kind of dive into the world of email. Um, I've been uh, working on a problem with my law practice, you know. There's a bunch of features I need from email and I want them to be real consistent. And I just, you know, so I'm just constantly frustrated with Apple mail. And in particular, like I rely on third-party plugins, mail tags in particular, because I want to tag emails related to the law practice. I've got a bunch of different clients and matters I work on. And I, I want to easily be able to filter down to those without creating a gazillion folders. Mm-hmm. And everybody I know that's really into this stuff is into MailMate. And we, every time Apple, even every time email comes up, we give MailMate a passing coverage on the show. Like I'll use it for a couple of days, but not enough. Right. And, and the story is always, it's ugly, but really powerful. And uh, I even got an email uh, actually coincidentally after I had done this, somebody wrote me in and said, can you say something more about MailMate than it's ugly and it's, <laughs> and it's powerful, but I'd already gone down the rabbit hole on it. So I bought a license to it and used it for a month for the law practice email account. And, you know, MailMate is a very powerful app. I think it is something that we definitely haven't given enough credit to. 
it is primarily, yeah, I mean, it's only a application for the Mac. It, they don't have iPhone and iPad versions, right. but it is by far the most powerful email app I've used. And the ugly thing doesn't apply anymore. They've really improved the user interface a lot. In fact, while I was using it, they made another big improvement to just kind of the general look of the icons. It's very, very much more uh, modern looking now than it used to be. And there's a whole bunch of stuff about MailMate that I really dug. Um, um, if you're a mail geek, they've got so many different things you can do. First of all, you can tag email in the application. And the the process of adding tags can be super easy because the application also has the ability to create custom key bindings. And so just bear with me while I go down this rabbit hole for a minute you have a text file attached to your MailMate preferences. And in it, it's like a little bit of a programming language, but I don't want to say that because I don't want you to get intimidated because it's very simple. And you can say, like, when I'm in the app, if I press this key, what will happen? And they've created everything for you. There's a sample one you can start with, so you can kind of just pick up from it. But you can even build multi-keystroke key bindings. Um, a good example was when I was using Apple Mail was the same black hole problem, right? You know, um, I have the same box accounts for multiple emails. And like if I have the same box black hole for Max Sparky, but I also have a same box black hole for the legal account. And moving an email to the black hole is a pain in the neck. You don't want to do it with the mouse. You may not an animal, right? So, <laughs> so I was trying to create scripts to do it on Apple Mail, and sometimes they'd work and sometimes they wouldn't. And with key bindings in MailMate, it's very easy. I would just type B and then M, and it would move it to black, uh, black hole Max Sparky. Or if I type BL, it would move into the black hole legal account. And it's that fast. I mean, you just type BM and it's it's done. Um, you can apply tags the same way. You can, you know, move it to a different box the same way. I mean, I once I built my key bindings file out, I was sold on MailMate. I mean, it is so good for that stuff. And then it's got like all the little features that you wish a mail app developer would come up with. You know, or things that you haven't thought of. Like, I was, I was, I prepared an email in MailMate, and I was sending it to somebody. It was a, a law-related thing, and and I said, "Attached is the contract." Blah blah blah. I hit the send button, and then MailMate pops up a dialog and says, "Hey, um, your email contains the contains the word attachment, but there's no attachment. Do you want to attach something to this?" It's like you know, mind blown, right? <laughs> I mean, have you ever had an email app do that to you before? Uh, I have not. I think Gmail on the web does it, but I don't use Gmail on the web. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great feature. And then like the delayed send feature, you just type 1D and it sends it in a day or one hour, or 1H, you know. So it, it like solves a lot of the problems. Everything is Markdown based. So you can write email in Markdown, which is kind of the preferred way of Markdown. And I talked to some friends, Mike Schmitz over on the Focus podcast, Brett Terpstra, who comes on the show all the time. These guys swear by MailMate. And I can see why, because just using it for a month, I was able to customize the heck out of that thing. If I had continued using it, I think it'd be even more custom now. And I think that MailMate is a great solution, uh, but there's a couple ifs. Um, the first one is if you don't want to do mail on a mobile device, because there is no mobile version. Now, Terpster gets around that. He uses Spark email on his mobile devices and MailMate on his Mac. 
Um, the second one, the, the kind of deal breaker for me was if you're using one Mac, because the key binding file, you know, the tags, all this stuff is really designed to be on the local Mac. And when I had a laptop and a desktop, this was actually back when I still had my iMac pro, I was running into all kinds of trouble getting that sync file to work across two computers and ultimately and i did some research i wrote the developer ultimately i made like the tag file in a way where hazel could see it and then share it across you know the cloud and show up on the other device but then if i had them both open at the same time sometimes i wasn't getting the flags and i was finding inconsistent application of flags which was a big deal for me it was the main reason i went over to try mailmate in the first place and i just realized that i was spending too much time trying to make it do a feature it really wasn't designed to do and and i just couldn't long term i couldn't see how that was going to work now since then i have switched to one mac but um so i probably could go back to it but i i'm going to be on two macs before long anyway i know before this year's over i'll be on two macs um, so I, um, I stuck, so I, I didn't use MailMate, and then at the same time, um, but I would recommend it. So that's kind of the short version or a longer review of MailMate for folks that want it. Um, at the same time, uh, 37 signals or Basecamp was getting ready to release hay for work. And I had some emails with the folks over there and they put me on the beta and I decided to try the law practice on hay for work. And I, so I switched over to Hey for Work, and I thought I would share some experience on that, too. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. You, you good on MailMate, though, if I answered your questions? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, right. it. Um, I've when I saw you had added it to the document, I um, put it in, I put it on my Mac as well, and it does look great. And I think that it is as powerful as ever, but the two Mac thing is definitely a, a problem for me. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully that's on the whiteboard and they, they get that sorted out. But right now it was just too much. So Hey for work. Um, you know, that is such an opinionated mail system. Hey is. And, but I've got to tell you after having it now for a month and a half for my work system, for my law practice, I think I'm going to keep it, you know, um, to give you the short version. It's, you know, it, it doesn't give me all the stuff I typically want, you know, like with Max Sparky email, I do a lot of cool stuff with email. Yeah. I use, um, you know, third-party services and scripts and all sorts of cool things. None of that is available to me with, Hey, um, the automator part of me cringes at Hey, because so, you know, I can run text expander in the Hey window, but, um, other than that, I mean, there's really not a lot I can do in terms of automation, but uh, for all the fundamental problems I've been having with the law practice email, Hey solves them all. I mean, you can apply, they call them labels, but you know, tags, essentially they're easy to apply. They work everywhere. They're absolutely 100% consistent. If I go open up the mail on my phone, the same labels are there that are on my Mac and it just works. And so that was a big problem I was dealing with and that is solved. Um, you can not only put the labels on, you can have it auto apply the labels. Like um, for a lot of the email with clients, I have a client that just has one company. So any email from that client auto files now to a label for his company. And I don't even have to, you know, go through the manual process of doing that. The workflow of, Hey, is really nice because, you know, it allows you to kind of 
go through and check your email and get rid of a bunch of it. They've got that screener built in where someone has to, in essence, earn the right to get on your list. And now that I've been using it a month and a half, the screener doesn't show up nearly as much, but I just don't get a lot of the junk email I was getting before. Um, and with because it's the work system, I'm paying for uh, two people. It's $12 a month for per person. So, and I have an, a virtual assistant that helps me out with a lot of the stuff in the law practice and like administrative things. We can have her and I can have conversations and notes that the clients don't see or the, you know, like if I'm dealing with the secretary of state, I can just assign it to my assistant and give her a note about what I want her to do with it. And she takes it from there. So for it's, it's excellent for collaboration. Um, it's rock solid. You know, they've just, I feel like they they're onto something and I know it's kind of a big ask for people to change the way they do email, but I do think overall, even though I've lost some of my automation, uh, I do find that, you know, some of the things, some of the emails getting processed faster and the collaboration stuff is definitely working better. I, you know, I'll give it a thumbs up. Yeah. They have a lot of really interesting ideas and I think the screener is, one of the best ones. So this is a place where messages from people you haven't interacted with before go. And so it's like filtering before it gets to your inbox. So it's not quite like Sanebox, which does its kind of thing to your email as it comes in and puts it in the same later or same black hole. If that's where you've told it to go, it's a little bit different from that, but it is really interesting. Um, and I think that they are on the right track with a lot of it. I would love a more native Mac app. To your point, it is extremely uh, limited in what you can do with it. And that's because it's basically a, a web wrapper. And so I would like to see more native support and really like be a good Mac app. Yeah, like, you know, the Mac Sparky stuff I do, so it hinges on the same remind me service, you know, yeah. where... I can send an email and it'll remind me if I don't get a reply. That's not as as big of a deal with a law practice. So I'm I, but I miss it every day with the hay stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing they allow you to do is put collections of email together or rename threads. And for a lot of like little client projects, I can have a thread name based on the project, which it, the client never sees that, but it's just internally I can see it. And I don't know. I, I just feel like. Um, I, I think it's probably the right solution for for my type of, of law practice. I'm not sure it'd even be right for a litigation practice or something. But the um um you know, good on them. I, I didn't think that I'd see somebody try to reinvent email and be of interest, but they, they've done something interesting here. Yeah, I think they have. So there was also a thread on the forums about cable management. Yeah. I put this in here. It's like red meat for Steven. Yeah. I saw this thread. Super excited about cable management. Uh, this thread was uh, people talking about how they, um, had different tools you can use and some some ideas on how to make it um, flexible, which is really important so you don't lock yourself in. You know, for me, I mean, we can, I, guess, I guess we can talk about what we're doing with a tower or like with an external computer and a separate display so like a laptop plus display or mac mini or mac pro plus display it's just harder than if you have an imac one of the things i really loved about my imac pro is that 
everything was just behind the computer. And so I could keep it tidy and not have to see any of it. That's just not feasible when your computer is separate from your display. And so for me at my desk, what I've tried to do is anything traveling vertically that has to go from the desktop down to the tower because the tower sits on the floor. I try to keep all of that kind of together on the right-hand side of the desk. So data or power that comes up to the top of the desk. I have data and power kind of Velcroed separately um, just for some interference reasons. When you have a lot of audio equipment like like <laughs> you and I do, uh, running audio and power stuff in parallel can lead to static and other issues, and so I keep that separated. Um, but for me, it's just a lot of Velcro. Uh, I don't use zip ties unless I can absolutely avoid it. In fact, I've got a few things that cables that run un- on the underside of my desk before they get to the cable tray. And I have zip ties that kind of loop back on each other and they have a screw hole in them so you can screw them to the desk. Yeah. And I leave them as a loop and do Velcro to the zip tie so I can undo any of this later because my needs change over time and I want to I want to be able to to keep things as flexible as possible. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I uh I have uh my desk also has some permanent fixtures that I, I, I Velcro too. And I buy these Velcro strips on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes that it's like a roll of them and they're about four or five inches long and you can just peel them off and use them one at a time. And they're everywhere in my life. And I just, it's just great to be able to pull things apart and stick them back together and, it's almost like for me crawling under the hood of a car, you know, yeah. <laughs> getting under the desk and like tidying things up and kind of rearranging. And like for me, cause I'm always like trying new things. Sometimes I'll find that like I'll have a USB cable in there that leads to nothing because it's something that I got rid of a year mm-hmm. ago and I just never got the cable out of the system. So it's always very nice to get underneath and, and do that. I have a um, desk that goes up and down. It's got a, you know, like motor in it to go up and down and so I have to address the length of the master cable dropping off the desk that goes to power. Right. Just to make sure there's enough play in that, that I don't, you know, unplug things when I start cranking the desk up and down. But other than that, I'm able to keep things very, very tight. And, um, and for some reason, about every six months to a year, they just start falling apart and I have to redo it. I, I don't even know how that happens. Yeah, I would like to redo mine. I suspect that I have things like you just mentioned, like a stray USB cable. It's like where, where, where did you go? Like you're just hanging yeah. out in here, and it's been about a year since I put this desk together with the Mac Pro. A little over a year or so. If I get a quiet day one one day soon, I think I'm going to redo mine. Um, I've had to redo or kind of relive this because I built that PC that I'm using for my streaming over on Twitch, and it's a tower pc and i have a a display on an arm on that desk and i have three cameras running into it and an audio interface it is a ton of stuff there's more stuff plugged into that computer than plugged into my mac pro honestly and so i've kind of been back down this road with my pc trying to figure it all out and not super happy with it yet but it's it's progress you know one thing i think that's important with cable management is it's never done right because you change out equipment or like you said, you just got to redo it sometimes as, as things change. And uh, and so that's another reason I like Velcro is that I can, I can undo it, I can adapt, and, you know, it can just be 
neat and tidy until I need to take it apart for something else. Yeah, I'm very motivated to have good cable management practices because I had to abandon my studio. My daughter moved back home and I'm in a downstairs room where when you walk in my front door, you almost immediately see my setup. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. like when people walk in the door, I don't want a bunch of cables hanging around. That's like a little anal retentive thing for me. But yeah, a couple things in this thread that I thought were cool. Um, somebody got a Google image where they took the little um, bread ties, you know, when you buy a loaf of bread, how they have that little plastic tab on the end. Yeah. And they took that off and they write a label on it and they put it on power cords. So when you're looking at a power strip, you know exactly which power cord goes to what. I thought that was a good idea. Um, I've done that with a label maker historically where I just make a label and I loop it back on itself around Mm -hmm. the power cord. I actually think these little tags are maybe a better solution because the the labels are long and this is a much smaller solution. I would just say that, you know, label makers aren't that expensive and putting them into play when you're dealing with a bunch of cords can be really useful. Do you ever do that? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do it with, uh, a label maker, not for everything, but like for instance, on my PC with the camera feeds coming into the HDMI capture cards, I need those to be consistent. Like I have this camera plugged into this card every time. And if I pull the PC out or something, it's hard to know which one is which because all the cables look the same. And so for things that are potentially confusing, I label them. I don't do everything for the same reason you mentioned. I don't think a label maker is the best solution. This bread tie thing is genius. And so I may start uh, snagging some of those from the kitchen and <laughs> and using them. Uh, another thing I did is my, my network shelf, you know, I had an eight port you call it a switch right where you have yeah. one coming in um because i've bought so much internet of things junk over the you know last 10 years uh, my eight port switch was no longer enough so i upgraded to a 16 port and i realized that it was just a complete mess under there and all these really long cables they were all gray and it was i was nuts and i just went on amazon and i bought 10 one foot um, ethernet cables and they're all different colors it was like a multi-pack where every cable in the bag was a different color nice and they're all one foot long and it has made my life so much easier in terms of running that sh- it's like a shelf for me where i've got the switch in the back and you know the thing for the sonos and the thing for the eufy cam and all the little things and having a different color cable for each one man total game changer yeah that's yeah my network closet it is it's literally a closet. It's in the, the top part of our youngest son's bedroom closet. His bedroom's in the center of the house. That's where the Comcast comes in. Yeah. And it is a mess in there for all the same reasons. All the cables are too long. The power management's not very good. Like it's a, it's a disaster. And so this has inspired me to get after that one of these days. Yeah. I mean, that bag of cables was like $20 and it's like, it's made it's nothing. I don't think I've spent $20 to get more joy yeah. <laughs> you know, in a while. Yeah. I potentially have a lot of this on my future. Um, I am in the early stages of preparing to expand my studio. And yeah. so part of that has been, I have, in fact, I asked in the, in the forums, like what app should I use for this? Um, mapping out where things are going to go because my desk is going to stay where it is in the old part of the studio, but the yeah. streaming PC is going to go on the new side, some other things. 
And so part of this has been like working out where desks are going to go and like where things are going to go. And I've got a route ethernet over there and a bunch of stuff. And so I have a lot of cable management in my future. You know, hopefully this, this spring sometime. Several years ago, I got to visit the Omni group headquarters and they have like a network room there Mm -hmm. where you go in and they've got like extra air conditioning and they've got all of these, like they had the trash can Mac pros like on a rack on their side and like every cable was the exact length and routed exactly as it needed to be. It was just a thing of beauty the way they set that room up. There's a whole uh, subreddit uh, that's just dedicated to that. It's like clean network closets. Yeah. It is very. It's like my uh, pornography right there. Yeah. Yeah. It is very, (laughs) uh, very fun to look at. And, you know, I mean, there's the aesthetic of it. But for me also, there's the, if something goes wrong, I need to be able to quickly deal with it and quickly be able to identify what's wrong and replace it. And so for me, it's, it's also, okay, I need to track down like where this static is coming from or whatever. And it's a uh, nice cable runs make that easier. I remember we did a live event once and I was winding a cable after the event and I just caught you looking at me and you had this look on your face. Like, I'm not going to say anything, but as soon as he walks away, I'm going to rewind that cable. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the IntraZone from Microsoft. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, the IntraZone is a bi-weekly show with conversation and interviews on how things like Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. I know I enjoy exploring new podcasts in areas I'm interested in, and it's so much fun to get new perspectives and new voices into my rotation. On the IntraZone, you'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field. So you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each episode covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic for the week, guest perspectives, FAQs, and much more. And the topics are really interesting. Previous episodes cover things like migration to the cloud crisis management and working remotely, something I think a lot of people are familiar with over the last year, and AI and machine learning. A recent episode talks about governance. You know, a lot of us who are independent, we don't think about things like this. We don't have uh, rules or even laws saying what we can and can't do with data, but that is a real thing for a lot of people. And so in a recent episode, They talked all about that and how things like Microsoft 365 Compliance Manager can help make sure that your data is staying where it should. So go and listen to it now. Just search The IntraZone wherever you get your shows. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or just click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of the Mac Power Users. We've had several emails lately from listeners dealing with old Macs. I think it's partly because of the pandemic. A lot of people are like recycling Macs and sending them around to family members. And we've mentioned on the show a few times lately that we had some older Macs that we were still running. And it's always fun reading these emails because people are getting a lot of life out of their Macs. And I think that that's great. Um, And it kind of 
made me think maybe we should talk a little bit about that. And since you are a former genius, it'd be kind of fun to hear your thoughts about, you know, how do you deal with Macs as they get older? How do you keep them running? If you're handing them down to a family member, you know, what are the, some best practices? Yeah, this is a huge topic. And I think that it's to Apple's credit that it is such a huge topic because Mac hardware really has gotten really good. And you can run something like an iMac pretty easily for a decade, right? If you take care yeah. of it and nothing terrible happens to it. And that that wasn't true always in Apple's history, right? Like running a, an iMac G3 for 10 years is not something you wanted to do. But if you have an Intel one, you can probably do that because they're built way better. And, and Apple's support from the OS perspective has gotten much longer over the years, which is also key. Uh, on the hardware side, I'd say a couple things. Uh, one, if you're running an older Mac and it's got a spending hard drive in it and you can afford it and it's something you want to spend money on, putting an SSD in a Mac that had a hard drive in it will make it feel way newer than it is. Uh, I've done a bunch of these in iMacs over the years. You know, for a long time, they sold the 21-inch iMac with just a spinning like 5,400 RPM hard drive, which was really slow. Like you open system preferences on one of those and it was grind to a halt. It's like, this machine's new. Why does it feel so slow? And so yeah, I've, for various people, I've put SSDs in them or, or, you know, advise people to put SSDs in them because it really is a game changer in terms of performance. And it's, yeah, it's not no money, but you can get by even with installation for a few hundred dollars and have an iMac that really feels way newer than it is. Although I would say that with an iMac, that's a very intimidating project. Cause you don't have to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Find an Apple authorized service provider to do that. Um, because you have, um, you have a lot of delicate parts in there and you got to deal with glue and adhesive and stuff. Like, I mean, if you're mechanically inclined, like, I guess it's worth a shot, but if you're not like, don't, <laughs> Don't do this. Find somebody who knows what they're doing because you can uh, you can get into a problem uh, pretty quickly, unfortunately. Yeah. And then and then how do you set it up for software? Because usually, you know, by definition, a lot of times it's on our Mac. Maybe it won't even be getting software updates from Apple anymore. Yeah. So that's that's really, I think, the bigger challenge when we talk about longevity because Apple has kind of an N minus two rule. So we're currently on Big Sur. So Catalina and Mojave are getting security updates. High Sierra isn't anymore. And they release a new OS every year, like we talked last week with John Syracuse. And as that marches forward, every few releases, they drop support for older machines, right? So maybe Catalina doesn't run on everything that High Sierra could run on and you may be in a situation where your hardware is still running perfectly fine but maybe you're you fall out of sort of the back end of Apple security updates and that's not a great position to be in especially I think for your primary Mac I think you you you'd want to be in a position where you were getting security updates or if anything really vital needed to be fixed they they do push those changes on occasion we're like oh gosh we found this big thing we need to address it yeah. But at the I mean even as I say this though because Apple supports stuff so far back with their OS releases 
I think what Apple's goal is about the time you run out of software updates, you're kind of ready for a new Mac. And even though Macs can last longer than that, I think that's what Apple aims for. And and I think that when you give it away, you kind of tell people keep it as keep it in this condition. Like so, we had a um the very first unibody MacBook. I think it was a 2008 machine. I remember it because it had levers on the bottom where you took a panel off the bottom. Yeah, to get to the and, battery and the drive. Yeah, and so my wife had it for years, and my then when she got a new one. Um, we, I took the panel, I took the drive out and put a, a new drive in it. It was a spinning drive. It wasn't a, um, an SSD, but I put a bigger drive in it and we gave it to my mother-in-law and my guess is, I don't know, was about five, six years ago. It's been a while. So whatever version of the operating system on, I told her don't do updates on this computer because I felt like updates are only going to make it worse. And so I knew that it was kind of a security risk, you know, because it's not going to continue to get security updates, but it, it was already out of class or Apple, you know, they weren't updating it anymore. And then she eventually got some money and bought herself a MacBook air. And she was just over recently. And one of the reasons I put this in the show notes is I asked her what happened to that computer. And she said, well, I gave it to my pastor and he's still using it. So that computer is mm-hmm. now 13 years old. Mm-hmm. and it's still an active service. And I just think that's that's something, you know, that's kind of great that Apple can make something can run that long. I'm sure the battery must be garbage, and I'm sure yeah. the drive must be full, but knowing my mother-in-law, she probably gave it to him with all her data still on it, <laughs> you know. But the uh, but it's just, um, it's kind of cool, you know. Yeah, and I think battery is definitely the other thing, to keep an eye out on, but I mean, obviously on desktops is not a problem, but you will run into issues where the battery just doesn't last what it did, or maybe it even starts to swell. That can be common on older notebooks. Yeah. And, and the sign there is the trackpad doesn't click anymore because the battery's under the trackpad. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Uh, what some people get into is they have a machine that is marked vintage by Apple, which means after five years, they have uh, this list, and it's um, can't necessarily get parts for it anymore. And then after seven years, uh, basically Apple discontinues all hardware support for them without any exceptions. And so it, you've got to look to like third parties for parts. Again, if you have an Apple authorized service provider in your area, they're much more flexible. They can maybe put an SSD in a machine that's vintage where the Apple store won't touch it. Um, so you, you, sometimes you got to do a little more work to have something uh, serviced. But again, we're really talking about drives and batteries. You know, we're not, you know, that machine, all of a sudden the the display is probably not just going to up and die all of a sudden, right? The, the hardware quality has gotten so much better that these machines just last longer. And I think that's great because Macs are expensive and buying a computer is a big deal and it should be an investment. Uh, that you that you make for a long time. And, you know, even looking at the Big Sur compatibility list, uh, it goes back to 2013 notebooks and iMacs from 2014 and Mac Minis from 2014 and Mac Pros from 2013. So Big Sur came out in 2020 and it's supporting Macs that are six to seven years old. I think that's 
pretty reasonable, especially when you consider the the plus two rule. That means you've got an additional two years for security updates if you didn't make this cutoff. And so yeah. I think most people, the software support ends and, you know, they're they're ready. So all in all, I think it's fantastic. And yeah, there's some gotchas at the edges, but if you want to keep an old Mac going, it's not nearly as hard as it used to be. And the other thing I would say is unless you're Steven, you want to create a museum someday. I, I would I would not leave a Mac on the shelf. If you've got one that you've replaced or not using anymore, because there's they've got this longevity, give it to a school or a friend or somebody who could use it and let them get the remaining life out of that machine. Yeah, definitely. There's always someone who can use a machine. Uh very often they'll be like I know in Memphis this is true. There are various programs like jobs training programs or ongoing education programs that work as like in like the nonprofit capacity who will take donations, right? Of, hey, you know, I've got a machine and they need a computer for somebody, maybe someone who's in school, going back to school, starting a business for the first time. So there's there's always opportunity. And and honestly, there's a rolling gap in my collection. You know, I think the newest thing sort of in storage in my collection is probably a 2015 MacBook. I'm not gonna give that computer to anybody. It's so slow. Um, But you know, like my previous notebooks, I either sell them or like my mom has one of Mary's old MacBook airs and my brother and sister-in-law have, you know, an iPad that I used to use and another MacBook air that my wife used to use. Right. So there's always people who can use these things. So if you're one to upgrade on a regular basis, I agree. Find, um, find a way to, to keep them in service. Last bit on this I would add is, and Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong, but Apple will take any Mac, anything with an Apple logo on it, and recycle it for you no matter how old. And uh, so if you get something that's just truly end of life, don't throw it away. Bring it to Apple. Let them responsibly recycle it for you. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of Macs, I got a new Mac. Oh, uh, do you go with the M1 Mac Mini? Not quite. I made reference, I think, on the last feedback show of Macs that got away in my life. Sure. Um, the two I lusted after the most were the SE30 when that one came out. I wanted it so badly, but it was like, I think it was like $5,000 at the time, and, which is like, you know what, you know, $15,000 in today's money. And then the other one was a Cube. I had a friend who had a Cube. I used to go over his house just to admire it. And a listener wrote in to me, listener Brian who is a Mac enthusiast. And he said, he wrote me an email and says, Dave, I've got a pristine SE 30 that I'm not using. Would you like it? And I'm like, did not have my email. Apparently he didn't. Come on. Don't you already have an SE 30? I don't have an SE 30. (laughs) You don't. I have an SE. I don't have a 30. I love that. I love that so much. I have an SE 30. You don't. Um, anyway, Brian, not only did he send me an SE30, he like replaced, replaced some of the capacitors. He installed software on it. He sent me like, it was like a brand new SE30 out of the box, you know, booting it up, seeing every, you know, I don't know. It brought me so back. So he sent this thing to me and I've had so much fun. It's been on my desk for a few weeks now. I've done some writing on it and uh, just fiddling with it. And you know, this isn't the old Mac show, but I, I just thought it'd be worth, you know, mentioning that um, I've been using uh, an old Mac and it's, it's been really fun and brings back a lot of memories, 
you know, even just like the way the operating system has changed, which isn't really that much, but it has changed a little bit. Yeah, the bones are the same, right? Like, yeah. still got a still got a menu bar, still have an Apple menu. Yeah, sadly, there uh, it got a little crack in the plastic in the shipping because mm-hmm. I, I I posted a picture of it on Twitter and Brian wrote me back and said, "What's up? With you? you know, did you crack it already?" <laughs> I'm like, "No, it, it came that way. I thought it had been cracked when you shipped." So something happened in shipping where there's a little crack in the plastic. I'm sure you know this is very old plastic. Um, but it's it's a great Mac. He even sent it to me in the carry case. You know? Oh yeah, so I've, I've got one of those. It's awesome. Yeah, so it's just it's it, it really is great. And like so many things they got right back then, you know, like the control panel is so efficient, you know, and so organized. Like when you look at the control center or control panel on the um on modern Macs, I have no clue how they organize the icons in it. It feels to me like it's it's like a dartboard system of deciding yeah. what goes where. And sometimes they move around between releases. So I always just use the search field in system preferences. And and you know, you know, with this these old Macs, they didn't have to do as much, but it's just so efficient the way they lay, lay out the control panel. I, I just loved it and you know, that industrial design of the the box with the monitor in it and the handle on top. And you can lift it and move it around the house. Um, it just brought back so many memories for me of using doing so much work on these computers. I, yeah. uh, I'm just sitting here smiling as I think about it. And Brian like knows me. Oh, by the way, Brian does FileMaker work. So if you're into FileMaker, you may want to go hire him. But the um, we'll put his website in the links. It's a beautiful machine. This is a great example of an SE30. I'm looking at your picture on Twitter and... It is is in really nice shape. How is the yellowing? A lot of these plastic these plastics get yellow with UV light over time. Does it look darker than it should? Yeah, it, it is, there's definitely some yellowing. I mean, I remember vividly the shade of the SE30, and the, it's no longer that shade, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's cool, you know. And like he put on HyperCard and MacWrite and Microsoft Excel back before Microsoft Excel became what it is today. And uh, HyperCard in particular, I I went back and played with that. And I I know there's been like a web version of HyperCard and people have played with it. But I feel like that is where my love of automation and just customizing computers began was with that that app HyperCard. I used to make all sorts of cool things I'd do with HyperCard. And and seeing it there again was really fun. Shufflepack was there. I forgot about how small the screen is. <laughs> I mean, that is a tiny screen, man. Yeah, it's a <laughs> nine-inch CRT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> running it. That's, it's actually where the name of my website comes from. So these classic Macs run at 512 pixels by 342. Yeah, yeah, 512 pixels. Yep, that's where it comes from. Yeah, but it's still, I don't know, there's just something to like about it. Um I forgot how often you had to hold the mouse down for interactions because it was only a one-button mouse, you know? And uh, so that was kind of fun remembering that. Um, I totally forgot about fan noise, you know, because modern Macs, even the ones with fans, make no noise. And this thing is loud. My kids were amazed because, like, I where I work now is in the center of the house. So I had it up and running. And my kids came downstairs and they're like, what is that? And they they just could not get over it. They had to touch it and look at it and they, you know, they, they're just of an age. They've never really been around a computer that looks like that. 
And then later they'd gone back up to the rooms, you know, home, uh, they're doing the remote schooling. And then they came down later and it had the flying toasters screensaver. Nice. And they were amazed by that. They're like, that is crazy. How did you do that? You know? yep. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. Um, I, uh, I sent a picture to Syracuse and, uh, and he wrote me back and I actually quoted it here in the outline. He wrote me back. Sweet. Deserves an Axel Apple extended keyboard though. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, you've got the Apple design keyboard, I think, is what that looks like to me. Uh, yeah, you need to find an extended two for this this bad boy. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's a it really is fun, and I've been having a great time playing around with this. I want to thank Brian for uh, clicking something off my bucket list. His website is d e n e b c o r p dot com. If you want to check it out, we'll put it in the show notes, but. Um, if any of you grew up with these old Macs, they aren't that expensive to get your hands on one. And if you wanted just a trip down memory lane, it might be a, a worthy investment. It's cool. And I mean, the, the we're not going to get into why the SE30 was so cool because we'd be here for another hour and a half. But uh, I have the episode of 20 Macs for 2020, that, that podcast and article and video project Jason Snell did last year. The Mac, e, uh, the Mac SE 30 is on there and you should definitely listen to it. It's basically the pinnacle of the compact Mac series. It's not the last one, but the ones after this weren't as good. This was the kind of ultimate compact Mac for a bunch of reasons. Definitely go check out that episode because it's, it's a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. And you've got the pricing here. Yeah. It was right at about five grand to buy one at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was expensive. It, it really was, but it was the most powerful thing you could have if you wanted this form factor. Um, and it had like expand, it had an expansion slot. So you could do things. Syracuse had a, uh, like a video card in an SE at some point, I think. So you could really, you could really, uh, make it way more than what the compact Mac was in the beginning. It may look like the yeah. original Mac, but it is far beyond. Yeah. And you know what? It's still pretty snappy. I mean, like I did some word processing on it. I played with Excel and, and you know, like I was making hypercard stacks and it works fine still. Yeah. That's great. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. This is, this is really cool. I've had my eye out for a good one in, for quite a while and they, they don't come up. So you've, you've got a rare bird there. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by HelloFresh. Go to hellofresh.com slash MPU one zero and click the link to get 10 free meals, including free shipping. With HelloFresh, you get free pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. They cut out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. And their Easy Eats offerings have a ton of quick and easy meal solutions like 10 to 20 minute meals, low prep recipes, and quick breakfasts and lunches which are perfect if you have a busy schedule. In my house, we often take turns cooking, and when it's my turn to cook, I find myself cooking the same things over and over again. HelloFresh fixes that because it gives you a ton of great recipes that you can make quickly and taste delicious. I love to plug into a podcast or an audiobook, open a HelloFresh box, and make dinner for the family. HelloFresh saves me time because they send me all the ingredients and everything I need to make the meal. I don't have to go to the store and wander the aisles trying to figure out where the cumin is. 
when I try to come up with recipes on my own, I always struggle to make them tasty. Like, how do I get good spices and make a good combination? HelloFresh solves that problem for me. I just recently cooked their sweet chili and soy glazed meatballs over ginger ponzu veggie stir fry, and it was delicious. It tasted really good, and it, it was very tasty. They also have sweet and smoky pork tenderloin, burgers, spaghetti, whatever it is that you want, they've got a recipe for you, and you can put it together quickly, and it's going to taste great. So don't take my word for it. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MPU10, that's MPU10, and use the code MPU10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MPU10, code MPU10 for those 10 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. You should check it out. And our thanks to HelloFresh for the support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So what are you playing with these days, Stephen? One thing uh, that I definitely want to talk about was the new version of Carrot Weather, version 5. Yeah. It is fantastic. It builds on the greatness of Carrot Weather, but it makes it way more customizable. So there's all these themes you can choose from and you can like build your own weather app just about with what you have in Carrot. And so if you have certain things that are important to you where you live, you can make them front and center. And if you don't, you can hide them, which is really cool. I'll have my blog post about it. You can see how I have mine set up. And it is a free app with in-app purchase. And so before Carrot Weather was a paid app and then there were subscriptions in the app because weather data is expensive, right? Every time I check the weather, the developer has to go pay the bill for whatever weather service that I've hit, right? Because you're yeah. paying for that access. So I totally understand, totally back weather apps being subscriptions. I understand. Um, but this is now free to try. And I think that's great. I think it will make it even more popular than it is. And it does all the same features from Carrot Weather 4. So it's got the the excellent widgets. I think Carrot Weather is maybe the best watchOS app ever built. That continues to be true and has still all the same notifications. And if you were subscribed before at a certain level, you were just moved over in the new system. Brian really did a good job with all of that. Uh, I really just can't say enough good things about it. And so I've spent quite a bit of time over the last couple of weeks getting it all how I want it, you know, uh, setting up the theme that I wanted and all the data points I want to see. I basically want to see everything because I, I think weather's interesting and it's a, a big deal in this part of the country. This is where David says he lives in paradise and there's no problems, but you know, the rest of us have tornadoes and blizzards. So, I mean, in fact, the, I'm with you. I love this app. And like two things that I'm always interested in are air quality because um, between uh, smog and fires, we have air quality problems. And UV index, you know, I don't want to get cancer running out in the sun all day. So um, I actually am able to customize this app to make sure that those two things are front and center when I open it. I love it. Yeah, it's it's really great. And it's not, I don't think it's overwhelming in terms of how you can customize it. I think you did a pretty good job with that. And so, yeah, I, I love it. And it has actually had a knock-on effect for me where I've been revisiting my widget setup on my iPhone. This isn't final yet, but when iOS 14 came out, I was basically just using a medium widget at the top of every app page that I had, which was two pages. I had calendar on the top of my home screen and then the photo widget on the top of my second screen and then a bunch of stuff over in the today view. And 
partially because of carrot weather. I think I I've tinkered with a, a medium and a small widget and just having the apps kind of wrap around it. And like I said, it's not quite finalized yet. I'll, I'll put a, a, a screen, a screenshot of my home screen in the show notes, but so far um, I've really kind of enjoyed it. And because carrot weather's widgets are so dang good, I, I like having it just available all the time. Yeah, I agree. It's just, uh, and the idea of letting users customize the layout of the app, I feel like there's really something to this, that this isn't going to be the last app to do this. No, I think it's going to be a, a, a trend that we see more. And I think it should be like, you can lay it out in a way that makes sense. It's not going to be overwhelming to people. I think people like the ability to do this sort of thing. Now, so you've got two screens and then the app library? That's right. Yeah. I still have just one screen and the app library. And my home screen is um, just, I'll put, a, I'll put a screenshot up too since you're doing yours. I've got a large calendar widget, and which is a list of events from Fantastic Owl, and then a shortcuts thing, which gets me to all my shortcuts and three apps. And then I find that the app library surfaces whatever it is that I need. I don't have to do really much, if any, drilling in it. Yeah. And then for the the dock, I just pick apps that have notification badges because I was finding, you know, like there's only three apps here. I've got uh, messages, phone, and Slack because those are three platforms that I get notifications from people on. Mainly just because I just want to see that on my home screen if somebody has slacked me or whatever. Um, they're not necessarily the apps I would want on my dock, but I like the notification element of it. Mm-hmm. Then over on the um, Today View screen, I've got another huge pile of widgets with Carrot Weather right at the top. Yeah, I like that Carrot Weather has, it's it's um, I think it's called the Forecast Widget, but basically it can change what it shows depending on what's going on. So if you have uh, rain or snow or something, it can give you a little graph. Or if it's evening, it'll show you the next day's weather. It, it can customize what it shows you. And I really like it. I think it does a really smart job. Very rarely, if ever, does it show me something that I'm not actually interested in at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and and it is interesting to me that like widgets have stuck around. I, I feel like when it first started, you wondered, is this going to be like something you play with for a couple of weeks and then you go back to a bunch of icons? For me, at least, um, I'm 100% in with widgets. Yeah, it's it's definitely not the the next iMessages app store. <laughs> right, they're, yeah. they're here to stay. Yeah. So what about you? Um, so we've talked about this on more power users, but I don't know if it's made it to the main show content, but you know, I, I traded my iMac pro for a used pro display XDR. And, um, you know, I, I went back and forth. If you listen to more power users, you heard me just bemoan this decision, but ultimately I did it. And if, if you think I'm stupid, cause I should have just sold the iMac pro and bought a cheaper monitor, you would be right, but either way, <laughs> I have a 6K monitor on my desk now, and and I've been struggling with the setup of it's just a lot more pixels. I, you know, I know that you told me this was going to be the case, but once I got it on my desk, I, it's like 5K to 6K. It's just one more K, right? But it no, it's actually a lot more. It's way bigger than you think it is. Yeah, yeah. So I I was trying to figure out how to set it up, and I did 
In fact, we talked with Syracuse about this on more power users, but I finally figured it out. Um, I was trying to like have multiple like like pages of desktops, and like I had one page with all my communication apps and one page with the other thing, and that wasn't really working. And everything felt tenuous. And macOS really, even though it has spaces, it, it, spaces can like trick you, and then like it'll start jumping to different screens when you don't expect it to. And it, the whole thing felt kind of rickety to me. So. Um, I am just using one screen now since I've got all this space, but I have gone crazy with my screen setup shortcuts and keyboard maestro. So um, I have, if you think about the control option command keys, right? And then the arrow keys, it's, it's between those two setups that I do all my screen placement. So the first setup is I have, there's four quadrants on the screen, upper left, upper uh, um upper right, lower left, lower right. So it's like, if you could imagine, take this massive screen, you could put four apps on at any one time. And I know this isn't entirely accurate, but it almost feels like the space of a 13 inch laptop screen in each quadrant. Um, so So I use, to do that, I have control option, which is the left two buttons, and then up and down arrow keys gets you uh, upper left or um, lower left. Makes sense. So if I hold down control option, two of the three, the two left ones, and the arrow up or down takes the current app and automatically moves it to those spaces. And then if I put option command and then arrow keys, it does it on the right side. So I can very quickly move things to any quadrant on the screen. And then the other one I do is I hold down all three of them and arrow up key, and that is the center screen. So what it does is it resizes the window to 60% of the screen size and puts it in the direct center of the screen. And then I have, if I hold down those three and I hit the lower button, um, it, it takes the app and makes it 25% and puts it in the bottom. And that is basically the drafts key. Like if I just want to quickly add, add some text, write some text somewhere, I can open a drafts window in the center bottom. And then the other thing I do, if I hold all three of them down, you know, op, a control option command, I hit left arrow, it takes whatever window is currently open and makes it the entire left side of the screen. And if you hit the right key, it does it for the entire right side of the screen. So um, with some very simple keyboard shortcuts, I can put a window left, right, any quadrant or dead center. And then I work all day, just, you know, making adjustments as I need. And in my head, I've decided each quadrant kind of means something. Like the upper left quadrant is the working quadrant, and usually OmniFocus is there. And but also like Obsidian and some of the stuff I write in is up there. And then if I just hit, um, you know, the um, the trackpad, if you spread your fingers, or my mouse, if I hit a button, it I forget what's the name of the view where it, it blows everything up and shows you every window. Yeah, expose expose i can see everything that's underneath them so i can tap between them as i go through the day so each quadrant may have two or three apps stacked there um i don't have the ability to see like a piece of each one so i can like use my mouse to find it but instead i just use expose and then click on the one i want Um, got it so the top left corner is is more like production bottom left corner is information so calendars and information type stuff was there um, top right side is uh, reference. So I've got, you know, browser, uh, you know, any kind of reference source that I have. 
and bottom right is like utility and catch all. So like I'll have a finder window there or a dev and think window and stuff like that. So in my head, I kind of know which direction everything will be in. And as I go through the day, I just kind of click through and get the windows I want up. If I'm going to start doing some serious writing for the law practice, maybe I'll put Microsoft Word on the full left side of the screen and my Safari browser with my research on the full right side of the screen so I can jump between quadrants and half sizes. Mm -hmm. And then when I really want to work, I put something dead center and it's right in the middle of the screen for me and I've got reference on both sides. Um, I'm also using an app called Hazeover which I've always owned, but never really found a good use for, but now I have. Um, and the keyboard shortcut for that is control option command H. And that just puts like a dark shade over everything except the active window. So sometimes when I have the center window lit up and I'm just working like on writing a document or something, I will just make everything else dark. So I don't have the distraction from the other pieces. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Uh, one thing I'll say, you said a second ago, sometimes when you're using spaces, like Apple's spaces, the virtual desktop thing, things move around. There's a really bad setting in Mac yeah. OS. And I think it's, I don't know, I've transferred enough users. I'm not sure if this is on by default or not, but. I know what you're going to say, and it is on by okay, default. <laughs> so if you open the mission control and I have a screenshot in the show notes with this highlighted, there's a setting called automatically rearrange spaces based on most recent use. No, I don't want my spaces to move around. Like I do yes. use, I, I have, I have two spaces. I have one with everything. Uh, desktop two is Twitter and discord. And I don't want things to move around. And so I have that unchecked. It's ridiculous. And that's the default. Yeah, I agree. And I'm very passionate like, about this. <laughs> if, if you turn it off, then you can like put spaces where you think they would be like, I always want Safari next to obsidian or whatever you're, app choices and then you can always like swipe between them but yeah. when you have that on like every time you go it's something else mm-hmm. <laughs> that's cr- i don't know why that's the default setting but the thing i was really having trouble with was like finder stuff like i'd click a file on the desktop and it would jump over to three spaces over to some instance of the finder and i, I don't know it was just driving me crazy maybe i'll expand this i still kind of like the idea of communications on its own screen mm-hmm. but i also really like the simplicity now of everything's on one screen yeah and i've i've got the big um, logitech mouse and there's actually like there's a button on that mouse under like the meat of your thumb if you just press into the mouse and i've tied expose to that and i find it very efficient to be able to like put everything up on the screen and just get what i want and it just takes a minute to set it up. And usually the way I work is, you know, I, I try to work in blocks, like 45 minute blocks. So I'll set the screens up for the task I'm doing and then I won't think about it again. And then till the next block when I start something else. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, we're talking about it in context of a giant desktop display, but I think stuff is even more important on notebooks where you're on a 13 inch yeah. display or a 16 inch display or something like that. And so being able to, either wrangle Apple's tools, which uh, I think we agree mission control is confusing in a lot of ways, or combining it with these these other things. It can really make you more productive. And the key for me is just less distracting. Discord and Twitter are noisy, and so I don't see them. They're over there if I need to check, but they're not on the same screen where my show note document is because that's too much for me. What do you do on your laptop when it's not connected to a giant screen? 
Well, my laptop is never connected to a giant screen. Oh, that's right. Ever. That's right. Um, but I basically run it the same way I run my Mac pro where everything's on desktop one desktop two is just Twitter and discord. Yeah. I I've tried with full screen apps on the laptop and I'm, I'm still struggling with it. I, I don't think I have a good solution like you. I've got everything on one and I do expose to get to stuff, but uh, I feel like Apple could, could do better with this. Yeah. The only thing I have full screen is I have music all the way to the right and that's so I always know where it is. And it is, I've done that forever since I've been full screen app, since whatever it was, Lion or something. And uh, that works for me. But yeah, I don't like full screen apps uh, for whatever reason. It's never clicked with me. Yeah. Okay. Window management. It comes for us all in the end. <laughs> you said it, brother. You said it. I'm actually really happy, though, with this gigantor screen in my that's system. Good. So. Right now, I'm in the honeymoon with it. Who knows where I'll be by the time we do another feedback? Hey, show. man, I'm months into mine, and I I love it. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. It, it is. Uh, it's crazy. I do like the idea that Apple is hopefully going to come up with a more affordable external display, as the rumor mill is saying. Well, they will because you bought this. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were just waiting on you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was- I was talking to a friend. He's like, you realize what you could have got if you sold that iMac, right? And I'm like, yeah, just let's not talk about it. Yeah. But uh, they're not always rational decisions. Yeah. But, you know, you helped somebody out who needed an iMac Pro and they had this laying around. So yeah. it's a win-win. That's what I tell myself. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> no judgment <All> here. <laughs> we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors this week, 1Password, Smile, Microsoft, and HelloFresh. We'll see you next time.